Blog Talk Radio. Diving's Late Night. Confusing self-conscious with self-confidence. Confusing self-conscious with self-confidence. Confusing self-conscious with self-confidence. Confusing self-conscious with self-confidence. So you monogamous but body positive. Post pills you swallowing for a following. What he got to offer, he don't see the kids that he fathered. If you won't bother then, why you respond to them? Careful where you plant them seeds before you water them. Say you empower women, but don't acknowledge them. Feminism not what you embody in. You false hope, you false positive. Uh, but eat your fruit and drink your water then. Uh, I don't click up, I don't click up. Nah, I don't click up, I don't click up. That's why I don't click up, I don't click up. I don't click up. I don't click up, cause y'all kiss up, rep your set, then y'all switch up and don't pick up. But real friends don't ask for favors, say you betrayed like you supposed to pay them. Cop the White House like you supposed to save them. Ungrateful, wonder how I Kanye them, huh? Pressure to be an icon, baby. Stressing to be an icon lately, but a lost soul can't leave the people, nah. A lost soul can't leave the people, nah. A lost soul can't leave the people, uh. A lost soul can't leave the people, uh. Confusing the celebrity with your integrity. You drink a Hennessy for your therapy. Can't get no peace of mind, can't get no serenity. But the public ain't the enemy, it's the enemy. So, uh, what you gonna leave with your legacy, uh? It's like we don't believe in longevity, uh. I was overseas, it seems that we the only people with dreams of material things, uh. Confusing self conscious with self confidence. Confusing self conscious with self confidence. Confusing self conscious with self confidence. Wow. Hello, Divas and Dudes. Welcome to Diaries Late Night. I'm speechless after that. I'm your happy healthcare host, Mr. Diva Beck. I want to thank you for tuning into our Wellness with a Wild podcast. You just heard her. Okay, now her is the latest and greatest musical act on the scene today. She chooses to keep her true identity a secret, but that's proving harder to do after winning the Best New Artist and Best R&B Song and Grammy Awards this past year. Uh, the song you just heard was called Lost Souls, and it's a tribute to Lauryn Hill's well-known hit, Lost One. On the song, her not only emulates the beat, but also the flow. I think we heard that on the classic 1997 hit. Can you believe the miseducation of Lauryn Hill is uh, almost 20 years old? Amazing. All right, well, experts agree that secret, the secret to managing type 2 diabetes successfully is to look at all the aspects of your um, your personal life to see where healthy changes can help you. 99% of diabetes care is self-management. So to succeed, you have to take your medications, check your blood sugar sugar levels regularly, buy the right food, exercise regularly, manage the stress levels in your life. That's harder and harder to do every day, it seems, and be able to ask for help. Plus, I want to add, um, make sure your, your your health is, you are a priority in your own life. Now, what are you saying? Why don't you leave us a, a message? Email me at mrdivabedic at gmail.com. Throughout this podcast, we're going to be playing more music from her off her new album, I Used to Know Her, the prelude, courtesy of Sony Music. My guest tonight includes Janet Rosler. We're so happy to have her back. Cheryl Farley, the food and medicine nutritionist. Um, Dr. Dugan Mannox and Patricia Addy Gentle. We're going to be talking about some of the topics I don't think get covered enough. Um, 
high blood pressure, intimacy issues, kidney disease, and giving your pantry a wellness makeover. That should be interesting. I'm looking forward to that. But before we get things started, hey, why not take a minute and check out 5 Equals 10 Men's Underwear and its Leisure Wear Merchandise. Father's Day is right around the corner. 5 Equals 10 is donating 10% of the company's profits to Divabetic and other outstanding nonprofits. Making a difference is part of 5 Equals 10's core values. They understand the importance of providing others with opportunities, and together we can make the world a better place. I believe that. Please check out their products at 5equals10.com and take advantage of all those wonderful discounts, especially around Father's Day. All right, before we play our next song, we were going to play her, but I have been brokenhearted the last few days because of Doris Day, uh, her recent passing. I don't know what it is about Doris Day, but she was just so sunny, and anytime you watch one of her movies or listen to her records, it puts a smile on my face. So I thought um, we'd give her a break for a minute and play probably my, I don't know if it's my favorite Doris Day song, but we did do a podcast, uh, Diabetes Late Night, inspired by Doris Day a couple of years ago, which you guys should check out. It was all about unconditional love, celebrating the fact that Doris Day was such a pet and animal advocate. So here's whatever will be case to Rasara, courtesy of Sony Music. When I was just a little girl, I asked my mother, what will I be? Will I be pretty? Will I be rich? Here's what she said to me. Oh, will be. Hey, that's how to manage your stress levels. Welcome back to Diabetes Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Medic. We were just celebrating the legacy of Doris Day, but we're moving on and we're celebrating all kinds of wonderful things tonight on this very special podcast. I'm uncovering some of the least talked about items in diabetes health care, including intimacy issues as well as kidney disease. And is it or is it not related to high blood pressure? Well, that's an interesting topic. But to kick things off, I'm going to stay in the celebrity zone a little bit longer because not only did Doris Day recently pass, but um, I, I'm sure you read about this, the sudden death of Academy Award-nominated director John Singleton, who suffered a massive stroke. He was only 51 years old. I wanted to get to the bottom of this, so I wanted to bring Patricia Addy on to talk more about it. So let's bring her in. Hello, Patricia. item really hit me because my former boss, Luther Vandross, suffered a stroke at the age of 52, and then he passed away at 54. And so I was deeply affected when I read this report, but I was probably even more impacted when I read how African-American men are at greater, greater risk of having a stroke than any other group of men in the United States. Why is that? Well, Max, according to Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, black men are also twice as likely to have and almost 60% more likely to die from a stroke than compared to whites. And a lot of that, my belief is that um, it is lifestyle. A lot of it also is probably related to a lack of confidence in medical system. 
Um, so that leads to not being diagnosed early and even, you know, because appointments are not being kept, physical exams are missed or skipped over. And even if it's being diagnosed, a lot of African Americans have that thing about taking medications and uh, consistently going for checkups to have, make sure that that medication is doing what it's intended to do. Are you saying they don't do that or they do do that? I was confused when you said that. A lot of African Americans don't take their medication? Don't take medications, yes. Do not. Oh, right. Well, you know, what's interesting, um, too, is a lot of these things are, you know, the stro stroke is considered the silent killer, high blood pressure is considered the silent killer. So a lot of people could be walking around who are very symptomatic of both of these things and not even know what they are, which I think, you know, in the case with Luther Vandross, he had a headache for over a week prior to having the stroke, and um, he also had high blood pressure. And I know that uh, John Singleton had high blood uh, suffered from high blood pressure and hypertension. So what is uh, hypertension? And help us understand this connection with hypertension and stroke. Hypertension is actually when the blood pressure measures at high levels. And so when we say high levels, we're talking about anything greater than um, 130 over 80. And you're looking at those numbers and when the numbers are actually indicating how much resistance there is in the blood vessel. So when there's resistance in the vessel, the pressure increases. And with an increased pressure, the vessel is under stress. The vessel actually stretches and uh, in order to transport the blood through. So there's stress and tension and a lot of congestion in the vessel, which makes it um, explode or blow up, it, it, it increases in the width, the size of the vessel. And soon, if you continue to put pressure and exert enough force by the blood being pumped so furiously through the vessel, that vessel becomes weakened. And if it weakens, then there is a stroke or bleeding to the outside of the vessel. Blood is no longer contained inside a vessel. And like I have said before, I like to compare it to pressure in a water pipe. So if you have ice or resistance or, or congestion in your water system, eventually the pipe because the pump is continually trying to push the water through, eventually you will have so much resistance in there that your pipe might blow or explode. And so there is water that's not contained in the pipe but flowing on the outside. So that is what, what we see as being a stroke is when blood is no longer contained where it should be. And also there is ischemic uh, strokes where the circulation stops because of a clot forming. So if you occlude or stop up uh, impeding the flow of the blood, that also can cause a stroke. All right, well, I want to back up for one second, though. Is, um, if I have high blood pressure, does that mean I have hypertension? Are they the same term, or they, uh, are they different? They are the same. Hypertension and high blood pressure are the exact same thing. All right, so now I want to talk about um, 
just why this is so rampant right now. It seems to me, and you and I have talked about this before, people don't really take high blood pressure that seriously a diagnosis. They take, they're given some pills and they think that's the way they can handle it and they never really look any further into what the cause was in order to try to change that. And then secondly, I just feel that, um, you know, like you were saying earlier, no one wants to take a pill and no one really does the work to understand what the numbers mean. I mean, most of us, including me, when we go to the doctor, we're just not really invested in the blood pressure unless they tell us to talk. True, and we were we were relating that to African Americans, and so often it is something that a person has heard of for so many years. Grandma had high blood pressure. Grandpa, um, you know, so many relatives have been diagnosed with high blood pressure. So it's something, a uh, word or phrase that just get just gets tossed around without actually being meaningful, and so uh, very little thought is given to what it actually means and what it means for that person and what they can do to lower that number. Or, you know, like you said, even if the number is significantly high or if it's, you know, if it's a mediocre number or, you know, should I strive for a better number? Um, so sometimes just a lack of knowledge, a lack of education surrounding what blood pressure actually means and a lack of education and understanding that, the impact of a high blood pressure causes on the vessels throughout the body because the blood flows not just in the heart, not just the lungs or the brain, but you have pressure in those vessels throughout. And so you can damage other organs. And sometimes that is a little known fact amongst people who do have high blood pressure until they reach that point where they have organ failure. Uh, and we're going to be talking about that later, about the relationship between high blood pressure and kidney disease. Thank you so much for tagging that along because I, I do feel like a lot of people don't make this connection, and it is something to be very aware of. All right, we're going to, move, we're going to switch gears one more time and talk about another hot topic. Uh, yesterday, Kentucky's Attorney General announced that he was suing three major insulin manufacturers in district court for allegedly utilizing deceptive practices to boost the price of insulin. Uh, specifically went after Eli Lilly, Novo Nordisk, and Sanofi for violating the state's consumer protection law and the advertising regulations, which have unfortunately uh, are one of the reasons or several of the reasons behind why we're seeing these soaring insulin prices. Uh, what do you want to say about that before we urge people to go to the Stand Up for Affordable Insulin at the American Diabetes Association's website and sign that petition? Um, I, I really think that it is getting a little, you know, a bit out of hand that these pharmaceuticals are violating and causing um, their profits to increase while the, the insulin market is the money or the portion that's out-of-pocket pay for the consumer is steadily increasing, and insulin is almost to a point where it is unaffordable for some people. And so, and 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 because insulin is required for life for so many. And so it's a medication that cannot be um, gotten rid of or just skipped and not taken. It's something that we have to have in the lives of so many people. And those prices are really, you know, it's most unfortunate that uninsured and underinsured people are not able to afford their insulin. 
So we do have And they're to rationing it because of that. You know, they're rationing. I'm sorry to cut you off, but they are rationing their insulin, which is having detrimental effects. A lot of them are dying, and some people are running to Canada to try to buy cheaper Absolutely. insulin. I mean, that, yeah, that's why, you know, get we it don't by enemies. Really get political on this podcast. We are a nonprofit. However, I just think, you know, I have a brother living with type 1 diabetes. <laughs> I have several other friends through the diabetic community who are very close to my heart who require insulin to stay alive. Something has to be done, and I think for the few minutes it takes to go to the ADA's website and sign the petition to stand up for insulin, affordable insulin, excuse me, which I will be posting on our divabetic.org website tomorrow would make a huge difference and, and, and really voice, a, uh, voice your support for why it's so important. I mean, when you think, Patricia, that they, the uh, Banting and Best, uh, took, sold the patent for a dollar because they thought that it, they should, for life-saving medication, should not have to be, there should not be a charge related to it. And today, in the last 10 years, the price has soared by like up to 50%. It's incredible, right, that these gentlemen in 1921, I think the patent went through in 1923, uh, I think they'd be just disgusted to see what's going on because people continually change the patent just enough to have to go in and, and be able to bump up the price on it. Absolutely, absolutely. It is horrific to see the condition that we have gotten uh, in right now because there are people who are doing the kinds of things like you were saying, going through uh, alternative ways to obtain their insulin and even reducing the dose and skipping doses and trying to make it last for longer. So that is, uh, you know, a sad circumstance. And I just want to add that you and I both um, partnered with Novo Nordisk for several years to put on a, a very well-attended and uh, wonderful patient outreach program called Divabetic Makeover Your Diabetes. I'm really proud of the work we did. Uh, but, you know, I'm holding them accountable for what's going on. So I don't want people to think that I'm hiding on any level around this. I think it's an important topic. I think it's time for our community to, to mobilize and take action. And on that note, Patricia, we're going to go back to her because I know you love her too, and it's hard to believe this, but um, she was on the Maury Show, the Most Talented Kids episode, when she was 10 years old. Her went on to perform for the Today Show, Good Morning America, and her appearance on The View at age 14 ended up going viral, which led to her recording contract. Here's Feel Away by her, courtesy of Sony Music. Crazy, but you made me like that 2 a.m. I thought you was on the way. It's your fault. I play my part. Don't start that talk like you ain't planning to say. Oh, I hate when you do that shit. Oh, oh, now I'm bringing up the passion. Oh, oh, tell me I'm being a passion. No, no, I'm not dealing with you all. Welcome back to Diaries Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedek, and it's time to get up close and personal about a topic I love to get up close and personal, intimacy. <laughs> if you suffer from any type of heart trouble, it's only natural to have concerns about whether sex is still safe for you. Here's the good news, though. According to the American Heart Association, most people with heart trouble can enjoy 
sex safely, and that includes those with high blood pressure. Here to talk more about this issue, this is my favorite author. She's a certified diabetes educator and a family therapist, Janice Rossler. Hi, Janice. Welcome back to the show. Thank you. Hi, Janice. Hi to all your listeners out there. Hi, everybody. Great to be back. I always love talking about sex with you. My mother doesn't like to be on these shows because she gets a little embarrassed. But that's probably very common, right, that people don't like to talk about sex issues in the doctor's office? No, that is very, very common. And even the doctors get a little uncomfortable, (laughs) which makes it really hard. So if you're expecting your doctor to bring up the topic for you, um, the doctor may be focused entirely on all the other things he or she has to do and kind of not bring it up. And if you need to talk about it, you're the one who has to step up and talk. So, uh, you know, maybe you'll be lucky and get a physician who does talk about it. But uh, there are a lot who shy away also. So if you have questions, write them down and ask. Well, now, this is interesting because you heard me talking to Patricia about some of these uncommon links. I mean, some people might not think high blood pressure has anything to do with performance in the bedroom. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, it really can affect it. Anything with blood flow can affect it because in order to have a healthy sex life, you need to have blood that can get where it needs to go. If men want to have a healthy erection, they have to be able to get blood into the penis, and the penis gets an erection, but the blood has to get there. So if you have any issue that makes it challenging for your blood, blood to move, then, you've got, uh, then it's going to be a, affect you in the bedroom. And for women also, they need blood flow to get into the vaginal area. That's going to, if they have high blood pressure, women can have problems achieving an orgasm. They may uh, decrease their interest, so their libido, their sexual desire may drop, and they may have an increased level of vaginal dryness, which can lead to pain and discomfort. So blood issues make a big difference. Well, then, interesting enough, you said in a recent, uh, well, you said in a New York Times article from 2007 that if, if, it's, if there's stress in the bedroom, that permeates the rest of your life. So, I mean, if you have high blood pressure and just what you said for both men and women, having some performance anxiety because of what's going on physically in your body, that's going to stress you out too and also might <laughs> actually go con- – continue the reason why you're having high hypertension, right? I mean, it just seems like it's a vicious cycle right there. If you have high blood pressure and it is affecting you physically, like you stated, it could mentally stress you out. Oh, my gosh, absolutely. And, you know, emotions raise blood pressure too. So you're right. It's a big circle. And what happens when I work with couples The first thing that I examine is what's going on outside of the bedroom. If they're having trouble in the bedroom, somehow these problems come in. If they're angry at each other about finances, if they've got tension about um, job sharing or the roles, the sex roles that they have, who takes care of the kids, who's, who's, you know, bringing home the bacon, who's, who's, uh, um, working out in the world and what do you share jobs, um, all these things, you know, if one of you thinks the other is uh, not being attentive or having an affair, it ends up in the bedroom. You can bring your anger with you. You can bring distrust with you. You can bring all these emotions. And then if you 
top it off by having physical issues, there can be some real problems. So the goal is to step back and really help the couple reconnect through good communication, help them build trust, and then help them communicate in the bedroom, but also have the, uh, the support for physical issues. Um, if they have a blood pressure issue, as you said at the beginning, sex does not have to be out of their lives if their blood pressure is stable. If you've just had a crisis and your blood pressure is all over the place and your doctor's trying to work it out with you, trying to get you on the right level of medication, it may not be time yet to begin sex, but that is really between you and your physician. It's a really important conversation to have because sex is in your future. You just want to make sure that you're stable enough because sex, if you think about it, is physical activity. It's exercise. So it would be the same question, uh, am I ready to work out? Am I ready to go walking? Am I ready to play tennis? These kind of questions are the ones that you ask your doctor along with the sex ones. But, and, and, you know, but a lot of people, like you were just saying, they'll connect, connect two and two together that um, anything to do with their diabetes or high blood pressure has anything to do with their um, sex lives. And in your book, Sex and Diabetes for Him and for Her, that you co-authored with Donna Rice, you begin with a quiz to help readers determine if diabetes is interfering, interfering with their sex life. So what would be one of the questions? Because it seems to me from what you're saying that it's very common for people not to make this connection, number one, and number two, not to know how to bring up this topic of conversation with their partner. Well, there's so many things. So what things would be something like that would uh, – what would be a question that I could understand that diabetes might be interfering with my sex life? Well, the first question is, do you have the energy to perform? So if your blood sugar level isn't in a good place, if you're having blood sugar swings or you're low or even if you're high, if your blood sugar is not in a healthy place, you are, are probably not going to feel up to having sex. Your, your energy level will be down. Um, and a lot of times your sexual interest will be down. I know one person who, when he loses his interest in having sex with his wife, he goes, I better check my blood sugar. I'm off. And usually he's low. So that's one thing. Um, another thing is just um, what, having an erection. Men especially, if their blood sugar level is out of a normal range, it is possible that it can interfere with uh, with having an erection. It can interfere with performance. Uh, all, same with women. If they're having pain, painful intercourse, um, vaginal dryness, a lot of those issues which we really think, oh, you know, maybe I'm getting older, maybe I'm just not interested, it could be related to having diabetes, especially if the diabetes isn't, um, well-managed because, especially for men, if your blood sugar range is, is good, if your A1C is in a healthy range, then there's no, uh, you really reduce the risk of developing sexual problems. Women are a little bit different. Wait, in our mailbag, we had a question from Sylvia from Columbia, South Carolina. She's menopausal, living with type 2 diabetes. She said, intercourse hurts, and she wants to know if there's anything she could do about it. That's oh, why my gosh, Sylvia. Yes, 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 yes. So Sylvia 
there are different type of vaginal hormonal suppositories and creams that you can try, and you can do that even if your blood pressure is not in a normal range. If you have blood pressure, it doesn't affect your whole system. Certainly talk to your doctor. But there are some wonderful, wonderful oral medications and also suppositories, vaginal suppositories. There's also some really good uh, lubricants. I would certainly try a lubricant. Some of them are a little thicker than others, but you want one that's made for uh, vaginal use. Certainly do not put Vaseline there. That's not an appropriate product for that area. Um, it should be something that the body can handle. But, yes, use a lubricant um, and talk to your doctor about the medication options. They are very effective and can really return comfort to you. Another thing you can do is try a different position, certainly with lubricant. I'm, I'm big on lubricant. So if, um, if you have been having sex... Isn't that glycerin and lubricants an issue, too, for some people with diabetes, like women should look... Uh, they should steer away from that. I can't remember. Is it they should avoid lubricants with glycerin, or they should use lubricants with glycerin? Do you know? Well, they should read. They should. There's been all different types of lubricants that have come on the market, come and gone. Some of them are flavored. Some of them are scented. It's important to um, to. There's been some research that's shown that some might be better than others, especially with different types of birth control. But the bottom line is. Um, to make sure that it's it's created especially for for the uh, the vagina for the vaginal area, and then if you have any question about the choice, run it by your gynecologist. Just kind of ask or ask for a recommendation from your gynecologist. Have you ever heard of people using extra olive virgin oil for lubricant? There are people who do that. The thing is, olive oil um, is natural, can be used safe, but it isn't as thick as a lot of the lubricants in the market. And especially when a woman is having discomfort, the oil can certainly cause lubrication. It can certainly kind of uh, oil up the area, but she may need something thicker that stays in position. And so for that alone, she may want something more commercially produced. So it really depends what your issues are and what your needs are. All right, we've got another question from Megan from Alberta, Canada. She's living with type 1 diabetes and has been dealing with neuropathy and wonders if she can lose sensation in her clitoris and vagina. Is this possible? And if so, what can she do? Uh, yes, it's possible. We don't attribute <coughs> all feeling loss to neuropathy, but for some women that is an issue. First of all, neuropathy can be related a lot to blood glucose control. So really make that a priority. If you um, you said she had type one, yes. Okay, I don't know, uh, Megan. I don't I don't know if you're using a pump or not. But if that helps you, you know, an insulin pump. If that helps you get greater precision and greater management um, and keeping your blood sugar level in a healthier range, that could reduce some of the symptoms you're having. Um, another thing, too, is you, again, you may want to try lubricant, try different positions. And the one thing that we know about women and their sexual challenges is that it's much more emotionally related than physically related. So a lot of times women 
who struggle to have feeling find that it comes back if they're more turned on, and that means taking time. Women, especially with diabetes, often take longer to become aroused, and that means getting the body to respond. Uh, they take longer than women without diabetes. So uh, kind of giving yourself extra time, not rushing it. Um, and just if you find that looking, there's a lot of, actually a lot of very, very nice um, adult film clips, pornography, whatever, made for women. There's erotica for women. If you think that watching it ahead of time or with your partner, um, reading uh, erotica to each other gets you turned on more, that you may find that you have more of a response in your entire body. And, again, taking it slowly, take, giving yourself a lot of foreplay, not rushing right to intercourse, but giving massages, um, just a whole lot of time. That can help you become more responsive. Um, also, masturbating can help. You may find if you've lost some of the feeling that taking time with yourself, taking time, again, using some type of a lubricant, so you're not chafing the area, but taking time, you may discover that other areas of your body, other areas near that vulva area and the clitoris, other areas have become more sensitive, and those are the areas to concentrate on. So learning more about how your body has evolved, you may find other hot spots, other uh, nice spots that really bring you pleasure that you can communicate to your partner. So getting to know how your body has changed that can help also. Right. Janice, uh, um, Patricia did that. You're you need to take you need to sit in our hot seat all all year long. I'm asking uh, all my guests a hot seat question. You haven't heard about it before. I'm just going to uh, give you one minute to answer the question I have for you okay. tonight. Please take a seat in the chair to your right. And remember, it's hot, hot, hot. Okay, okay I'll put lubricant on the chair. How's that? <laughs> Just not extra virgin olive oil. Yeah, All right, not extra, you yeah, but I'll be, I'll be roasted and toasted. Okay, I'm ready. <laughs> Thank you for being on the show tonight. This is a topic that we don't get to cover that much tonight. We, you and I have been doing this topic around intimacy issues and sexual health issues for several years and I always appreciate it, and I know our viewers, our listeners do too. All right, so I was reading up on you, and you said one of the first strategies for managing your diabetes is to change the way a person eats. But our relationships are um, intimately tied to food consumption. Candlelight dinners signal courtship, while large family dinners um, woo teens to the table. Is it no wonder that people with diabetes worry their relationships with food will, uh, relationships will change as their diets do? So I'm wondering in a minute, what could someone do who's struggling with that? Because a lot of women, particularly I think, who are making the food for their families, wonder how this is going to affect the relationship with their family if they have to change their diet. Well, I really, really find that it's important. Remember, a, a meal plan that focuses on good health and blood sugar management in other words, what we would call a diabetes-friendly meal, is healthy for everyone. And I think a lot of women really tax themselves out by, by making a variety of entrees, something for themselves, and then different things for their family, and then they exhaust themselves. 
help your family, you know, help put the types of foods, kind of ease your family into it. If they eat what you're choosing, which is diabetes, healthy, diabetes-friendly food, it's better for them. Lower in fat, higher in fiber, higher in nutrients. So the goal would be to get everyone on the same menu, get everyone to be eating the same entree. You only have to make one meal, and then you can take those wonderful uh, low-glycemic strawberries and, uh, you know, I'll throw in some chocolate and a little alcohol and run into the bedroom. Go for it. All right. Well, thank you, Janice Rosler, for being on the show tonight. Check out her website, Dear Janice. Dot com and sex and diabetes for him and for her is available on Amazon. Thank you, Janice. Thanks, Max. Thanks, everybody. Her, our musical inspiration tonight, initially presented herself anonymously in an effort to only be represented by her music instead of her look. She remained faceless as she landed her deal with RCA Records and delivered her first project, Her, Volume 1, back in 2006. Here's Against Me, courtesy of Sony Music. I should have listened to my intuition I put myself in this position It's all my fault Look in the mirror, think what am I missing See and think different Oh, am I lost? Feeling away, nothing the same I wish it would change, oh, I'm lost Numb in the pain, don't make it Nothing to say, but you brought all the issues And I was staying with you Don't hold it against me Against me, hold it against me Against me Welcome back to Diabetes Late Night I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedek Did you know more than 20 million adults have some form of chronic kidney disease, according to the Centers of Disease Control and Prevention? By 2025, the number is expected to rise by 50%. But what the heck does that have to do with high blood pressure? Well, joining to talk to to me more about kidney disease is nephrologist Dr. Dugan Maddox. Hello, doctor. Hi, Max. How are you? I'm great. I was watching all your videos on YouTube earlier and uh, this weekend and learning more and more about you and the great work you're doing. So I'm so happy you're uh, joining us tonight to help us understand more between the link between high blood pressure and kidney disease. Yeah, thank you so much for letting us uh, have the opportunity to talk about that. That's great. Well, you know, John Singleton, uh, the Academy Award-winning director, which we spoke about at the top of the show, had hypertension and then he had a stroke. But I think, you know, as I was talking to Patricia Addy Gentle, a lot of people don't make the connection about high blood pressure and how it relates to other parts of the body. A little bit earlier I was just talking to Janice Rosler about how, how high blood pressure can affect your sex life. So now I'm curious to know, let's get into the kidneys and more of how our organs are affected by high blood pressure. So what? How are these sure. two things linked together? Yeah. So the kidney is um, a, a organ. Two organs. You have two kidneys, just made up full of blood vessels, really tiny little blood vessels, and that's where the blood is filtered to create your urine and to clean your blood. So 
all of those tiny blood vessels are quite fragile. And so if the blood pressure is high over time, it just creates a lot of wear and tear on the blood vessels and causes damage and scarring over time. And that's how high blood pressure affects the kidneys. And it's true for other organs, too, that just over time the, the blood vessels. And so, I, you know, there, there rarely are signs of high blood pressure. Are there any symptoms or signs for kidney disease? Yeah, now that's a great question, and that's one of the big problems for um, all of us trying to talk about chronic kidney diseases. It is a silent disease, so there are no symptoms early on in the disease. In fact, the symptoms that are associated with kidney disease occur very, very late, and we want people to find out about their kidney health much earlier than that because there's so much you can do to protect your kidneys. So the symptoms are, are occur very late in the disease. So what do you do if you're going to your general checkup once a year annually or even, uh, you know, um, maybe a little bit more if you're living with diabetes? What do you ask? Is there something you yes. should be asking them to do to test your kidneys? Yes. And so if you have any risk factors for kidney disease, and that includes high blood pressure, diabetes, having a family member who's had kidney disease or is on dialysis, if you have heart disease or vascular disease of any kind, then you want to say to your your doctor, your primary care provider, can you check my kidneys? Because it's very easy to do. It's a simple blood test and a simple urine test, and they can just right away have a lot of information about the health of your kidneys. Now, you're a nephrologist, and I don't think a lot of people know what that is. So what what kind of doctor yeah. are you? Yeah. So that's a great question. So I'm a nephrologist, so I'm a kidney doctor, and we are doctors who did training in internal med- medicine. So your primary care doctor is often an internal medicine doctor. And then we do some extra years to just study the kidney and to take care of people who have diabetes and kidney disease related to diabetes or who have kidney transplants or who need dialysis. So we've done extra training to um, take care of people who have kidney disease. And I want to talk a little bit about uh, dialysis because I know you're very involved in an oral history of the of the history of dialysis and yeah. some of the yeah. Pioneers. I was looking it up. I was really, I actually posted about this on the Divabetic blog because I was fascinated by Wil, Wilhelm um, Kloff. Is that right? I think Kloff. Kloff. Right? Kloff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Now, he was this kind of, I, I want to say, he was this kind of like a mad inventor, right? Can you tell everyone that story? Because it was kind of interesting. It was like World War II that kind of inspired him to start working on uh, the first dialysis, dialysis machine. Yes, it is. It's a great story. So Willem Koff um, was in the Netherlands during World War II. And before he was able to start uh, developing this kidney disease, people who had chronic kidney disease and acute kidney disease, um, once their kidneys were not working, they didn't survive very long. And so people had been experimenting uh, for quite a while before that to try to find sort of synthetic membranes where the blood could pass by the membrane and and waste products could move 
from the blood out into a fluid to sort of clean the blood over time. But Dr. Koff was the first person to successfully dialyze um, people, and he had to he he worked on it a very long time. But he was successful in dialyzing a woman such that during the time where her kidneys were not working, she received several dialysis treatments, and then she survived until her kidneys started working again. Um, so he um, made it possible for her to survive with acute kidney injury. So he is the father of the dialysis kidney machine that has that is used today on, on people. It's come a long way. The technology is very remarkable, but it started in the 1940s with Dr. Call. Well, I wanted to touch on that because I think a lot of people visualize the picture I put on our website, which is like being in a big incubator or something and being there all day. And I know your company, you and your company both specialize in dialysis. And I'm wondering how has it changed? Like what is the experience for someone today who has to have dialysis? How painful is it? How much time does it take? What what can you tell us a little bit about um, a patient's life on dialysis? Yeah, so that's a great, and let me just, as a little background, say that the the treatment of patients with chronic kidney disease and end-stage renal disease started in 1960 with uh, Dr. Belding Scribner in Seattle, Washington. And it, he made it not only possible to have the dialysis machine that worked, but made it possible to have a Scribner shunt or vascular access, which allowed people to be on treatments over weeks and months. And so that is really where the chronic dialysis began. And there are several different types of dialysis. So there's a hemodialysis that cleans the blood, and that's the type of dialysis more people are familiar with, uh, where they come into a dialysis center and they have several hours where the blood is clean. But there are lots of, of um, personalized, individualized ways to deliver the dialysis treatment and many ways to deliver dialysis at home through peritoneal dialysis or home hemodialysis. So a lot has happened in the last 50 to 60 years to dialysis so that now people have a lot of choice about the type of dialysis they can have and choice in their schedule for doing it. And our dialysis machines have become a lot more efficient um, in providing a dialysis treatment where people feel feel better during the treatment and after the treatment. And also we've come a long way in home dialysis options where people can use um, hemodialysis machines at home that have gotten to be a lot simpler and easy for people to learn and use and also um, improved ways to do peritoneal dialysis where people have fluid in their belly and um, it cleans their blood that way. So um, dialysis today, it is, I've, I've talked to a lot of patients who think about their dialysis as almost a job. I mean, they have to work on it every day and think about it every day, but um, our ability to really to help people have a good life on dialysis has gotten a, a really pretty good and a lot better over the last several decades. And the most common form of dialysis, like what is the time commitment for the a person? I know you're speaking generally, but I'm just curious because I think this is also yeah. an issue for people thinking if they're going to be hooked up to a machine every day of their life. 
Yeah, so that's a great question. So the most common form of dialysis is hemodialysis today, where people come into a dialysis center, and a typical treatment will last about four hours, where people, but people have to come in and get ready, so there's a little bit of before time, and then they have to finish their treatment and get, you know, all ready to leave the dialysis center. So it is a time commitment probably of around just literally being there maybe five hours, three days a week, so like a Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. But there's a lot of work today to make sure that we individualize treatments for patients so we make it the best possible treatment for them. And also, we're working really hard to help um, everybody pick the right treatment that's good for them. And, and the best treatment is if you can have as much choice and control as possible, which is to do a home, you know, start out doing a home treatment. Um, so if you can be be doing some type of treatment where you're in your own home that gives you a lot of flexibility for when in the time of day you want to do it and how long you're going to do it and how to develop a treatment along with your your care team your nephrology team your kidney team to make you feel as good as possible on your treatment so home dialysis offers more flexibility than in center dialysis and but all the treatment is is really, really good. It has time commitments, and people also have to take care of their body in between their dialysis treatment. So diet is really important, and exercise is really important. So it is it is a lot of work for people to take to do dialysis. Oh, Doctor Alex, that's our hot seat question time. Every and. For the last year on Diabetes Late Night, we've been asking our guests a question. They have do not have any advance warning on. Please um, sit down in the, the comfortable chair to your left. It's a little warm. And um, I guess you get to know the theme of the night, so this question should come as a surprise. But um, how will dialysis affect my sex life? Yeah, so that's a great question. And, um, it, you know, I think, and I, and I heard Janice talk about this, and I think that a lot of the things that she talked about are definitely true for patients who have kidney disease or on dialysis. Because when you have a chronic illness, um, you have a lot to think about, and it can be um, it can make it hard to feel like you can just go about your normal life. So um, there, there are some changes for people who have, um, very late stage chronic kidney disease or who are on dialysis, there may be some hormone changes that may affect uh, someone's uh, interest in sex. And so we've definitely seen that. And that we, we have a lot of support for patients who are on dialysis, including social workers who can help people talk through those issues and try to um, think, you know, have ways that they can have a very normal life. So I think that there there is an impact on people's health, sex life, but there there are a lot of resources to try to help with that. And also, people who have kidney disease often have other chronic diseases. The mo- the leading cause of kidney disease in the United States is diabetes. So if they have other issues related to diabetes or high blood pressure or heart disease, you know those things definitely can impact your sex life as well. I think sometimes people in these moments, though, really need the human touch. And I can understand why there would be trepidation around 
wanting to know if I could or could not have sex, but also just that need for companionship and nurturing, which, you know, obviously could lead into more intimacy. So, I, I mean, I do think that probably is a common question that uh, they call the doorknob questions in the doctor's office. Like, they're just curious <laughs> uh, after they understand what's going on. Like, can I, you know, can I have, can we be, can I be intimate with my partner? So the answer is really that they, there are ways they could be intimate, like Janice was saying, is what you're saying, that there might be a couple mm-hmm. challenges. That there's many ways they could probably overcome them. Absolutely. I mean, I think the whole goal for helping people who have, you know, chronic kidney disease or on dialysis is to help help them live as normal a life as possible. Everybody needs relationships and companionship and love and physical touch. And so, yes, I mean, our goal is to let's talk about all that and to there's nothing about dialysis or kidney disease itself that that prohibits any of that normal, wonderful life experience and relationship. I love it. Where can people go to find out more information and resources about this topic? So there are tons. There's there's a lot of information online, and I'll I like to suggest that people look at places where there are patients who uh, people who live with kidney disease who talk about it and have resources about it. So there are many of those. Uh, some that I particularly like is the Renal Support Network, which was started by Lori Hartwell, who is a transplant patient has been living with her kidney disease for a very long time. Um, another patient, Sam Trevino, does a urine inspiration uh, website that has a lot of information. But also um, our at ResiniusKidneyCare.com, there's a ton of information for patients and uh, their family. Um, the Medical Education Institute, MEI, has wonderful resources for people who want to learn about chronic kidney disease, learn about living with chronic kidney disease and treatment options. And the National Kidney Foundation, they sponsor a lot of screening, and so they have a lot of information about, you know, how to learn if you're at risk for kidney disease, um, how, what are all the symptoms of kidney disease, um, how to get checked for kidney disease. So there are lots of wonderful resources online. Great. You know, um, our organization, Diva Better, we spend a lot of time trying to help people change their attitude and get past some of the shame and blame related to a diagnosis of diabetes. And I would assume uh, that there would be also a lot of shame and stigma behind having a complication like kidney disease for some of your patients, especially the ones living with diabetes who have type 2 diabetes who kind of it seems to perpetuate. Have you found that to be true? And if so, like, how have you helped someone navigate through the attitude of this? Because it's, to me, a lot about loving yourself is loving your health in order to overcome some of the issues and get back on track to what you're saying, a happy, healthy life, or still being able to enjoy yeah. life to its full for where you are today. Yes, and so that is a very big issue. So we, um, you know, certainly in CKD uh, before dialysis, that were, a lot of nephrology offices work with uh, social workers and dietitians that try to help people think about living a normal life. And in the dialysis facility, we know that the time where people transition to start dialysis is a big life change. And so it's a time where people can have to make sort of 
changes in how they feel about their body, how they have to change sort of their daily routine. So we have a pretty intense time of transition as people start a new treatment. They're meeting new caregivers. They're needing, meeting a new caregiving team. Um, so we work really, really hard to try to help them um, get back to a place where they feel like I am feeling normal again. And I think this is particularly an issue for women because many women are the caregivers. They're cooking, they're caring for their family. And now they have to start a treatment where they have to um, have help themselves um, or they have to give up some of their caregiving duties, at least for a little while while they're taking care of themselves. And so it is a very intense life change time, but our goal is to help people really just make the changes in their own life so that they can feel like they're getting back to their own normal, good life. Even though they have some new treatment they have to take care of, um, that it does not stop them from feeling like they are normal. I love it. I wish you were my doctor. That's the kind of uh, <laughs> doctor you want in your corner. So thank you so much for being a part of tonight's show. We really appreciate having you on Diabetes Late Night. Thank you so much, and thank you and- for talking about the kidneys. Absolutely. We're going to do that every year now that we know Kidney Health Month, I think, is March, uh, as I've been told. It is. All right, so our musical, it is, right? So our musical inspiration, hers newest release, will serve as a precursor to her forthcoming debut album on Sony. Here's uh, Appetizers. Her appetizer, Billboard Magazine, calls the next song is a standout. Here's Could Have Been, courtesy of Sony Music. Let's listen. Hit me up when she's not home And that's why I can't get caught up We could've been and we try to pretend Every now and again We don't dream about, don't think about But we could've been oh, yeah. holding it in Cause I know in the end You dream about, I think about what We could've been We could've been Welcome back to Diabetes Late Night. I'm your host, Sister Diva Bedick, and that was her. She's kind of seen along with the we uh, coulda, woulda, shoulda, and that's why we're talking about right now with my next guest, because one of the first strategies in managing your diabetes and even kidney disease, as we heard, is changing the way you eat. You might need to get your pantry restocked with a whole new way of life, and my next guest says that's easier than you think. Well, let's welcome to the show the food is medicine nutritionist, Cheryl Farley. Hi, Cheryl. Hello, Max. How are you? I'm great. Thank it's you so much for joining us tonight on Diabetes Late Night. We love having you on because I've been reading all about you, and you're so energetic and enthusiastic about helping people achieve a healthier way of life. I want everyone to learn a little bit more about you. So tell us how this whole passion began in you. Well, it actually started as a young girl. Um, my dad ran Jack Lane's gyms in California back in the 60s and 70s. So I had the blessing and the privilege of meeting the man in person at the age of 11 or 12. I have very, very vivid memories of going into one of his gyms whenever they'd open or have a grand opening of a new gym. 
Austin in Los Angeles, he would make a cameo appearance. And I just remember I was an, I was awestruck. He was like a dynamo. He was like a powder keg. <laughs> he had, you'd want to talk about energy and enthusiasm. I mean, the man, it just oozed out of his pores and, I was just so inspired by him, even at that young age. And, uh, and then later on at the age of 18, I started working in the fitness industry. I began teaching exercise. And I just just celebrated my 60th birthday the other day, and I'm still teaching. I teach classes um, three days a week. So I've been teaching since I was 18. And it's, that's another Ooh, part yeah. of it. <laughs> yeah, that's that's good for you. That's amazing. <laughs> but wait, I want to go back to Jacqueline because I'm sure some of our listeners don't know about who he is, especially if they're her mm-hmm. fans, because her's only like 22 yes. years old, and that's way oh, out of their okay. generation. But here, here's a, <laughs> before you describe him, just I, I just was curious now when you look back. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> in my opinion. Jack Lane was way out there. He was completely against the norm <laughs> with what yeah. he was promoting and doing at the time. Of course, we know that's yeah. all changed today. But when you when yeah. you think back to it, it's kind of interesting. Do you ever think of, like, how did Jack Lane really do that? Because he must have been fighting a lot of adversity with the things he was preaching and the way he was doing yeah. things from – and yeah. and it, it's just kind of spellbinding, right? I mean, it's like really inspiring to think what that man accomplished in his lifetime. So now his tell lifetime, us exactly truly. who he was, and then you can answer that. He was the my dad said he was the father of fitness, it, with the exception of Paul Bragg. You know, he of course had a TV show where you know my mom used to tune in and exercise to him. That was when it was black and white TV. So. But I mean, and then he did some amazing things. I don't know how much you know about, like, as he got older, I think on his 70th birthday, he went and he towed 70 boats, like rowboats. There was a flotilla of boats. He was handcuffed, his feet and his ankles, but he managed to swim and propel his body, pulling this flotilla of 70 boats across the San Francisco Bay with people in them. <laughs> so he did amazing, you know, feats of physical strength. So truly he lived what he taught or preached. It was the man. That's who he was. And that's probably very inspiring because I worked with a woman named High Voltage who really walks the talk in that. And so that mm-hmm. must have had a profound impact on you, right, to see that someone of that status was actually – not just telling people what to do, but was actually taking his own advice. Yes, absolutely. He he was. He was truly an inspiration. And obviously, yes, I mean, for the, the younger generation, I'm sure they know they can go into any, well, even on Amazon or into any, um, you know, retail store, and they'll see the Jack LaLanne power juicer. I mean, so in his latter years, you know, he was the an infomercial guy, selling his Jack LaLanne power juicers and he lived into his mid nineties, you know, so he, he lived a very long life. And I, I remember so many of his things. And one of them was, um, it's not, it's not the years in your life, but the life in your years. And of course, obviously he experienced longevity, but 
he had a full life. He lived a vibrant, healthy, happy life, prosperous. I mean, which I think is what I think all of us really want, you know? Absolutely, and you're going to help us do that right now because we're going to switch gears and talk a little bit about a pantry food camp because we should tell everyone after the fitness classes that you led, you've gone on to become a nutritionist and you've been helping a lot of many, many people with type 2 diabetes through your workshops and your boot camps to kind of regain their health and um, Mm -hmm. live a happier, healthy life. So let's start with the pantry because we all know that um, a lot of, well, I believe if it's in your house, it's in your mouth. So if it's hanging mm-hmm. out in the pantry, mm-hmm. you might need it. So one of your first things is um, you, you don't like to get rid of things. You like to add things. So you like to add nut butters, nuts, and seeds to our pantry. What should we? What are you? What are specifically you talking about? And why would we, you? Why do you recommend nut butters, nuts, and seeds? Well, okay. So if you're going to use a spread for your bread. Um, because the nut butter or the seed butters have still, even though they, they're in a, the butter uh, texture consistency, they started as a nut. So basically it's just a nut that's been turned into a spread. So there's still dietary fiber in that, which, by the way, is the key to helping the body naturally bring down or lower the blood sugar. It's fiber, 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 fiber. And so... And what are your three favorite, uh, favorite sources of fiber right off the top of your head? Well, okay, I'm going to say, well, we, fruits, grains, vegetables, beans. Beans are, I say they're, for anyone who is um, a type 2 diabetic or type 1 diabetic, pre-diabetic, Beans are your best friend because they are, well, one, they're packed with fiber. They're high in protein, but they take a long time to break down and convert into sugar in your um, bloodstream. So the more nutrient-dense, high-fiber food that you take into your body, number one, it's going to fill you up, so you're not going to be craving the foods that are going to spike your sugar. And number two, it's because it's high-fiber food, it helps with a slow release of your blood sugar. So you're not going to have those spikes. So it's going to fill you up, so you're going to be satiated, but it's also going to help you to control your blood sugar. And you you don't have a problem with canned beans, I read on your website. Canned beans oh, are fine no, with you. Oh, no, not at all. Yeah, absolutely. I, I buy canned beans. All, I mean, dry is great. Um, obviously, right now, the biggest thing is the Instant Pots. I know people um, use them a lot, I think, for oh, especially for people who work. Yeah. yeah, I mean, for people who work, it's a godsend because truly – You know, you don't have time, and so that's something that you can, you know, make a nice, tasty, hot meal in a a very short amount of time. But, yes, canned beans are fine. You know, um, if you're concerned about the sodium content, well, you can just, you know, drain, rinse them, and cook them, you know, up in a pot or however you want to, you know, eat them or throw them in a salad. They're great 
and salads. You know, again, the I, what we teach people is the more fiber, the better. The more fiber, the better. Fiber is your friend for the diet. I want to go back to these um, nut butters and specifically nut flowers because I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but every year we host our Diabetes Mystery Murder Mystery Podcast, and my character, uh-huh. Mr. Divabetic, is a very enthusiastic caterer, but he's not very good. And this year, <laughs> unfortunately, he's decided to take out, he wants to use almond flour because he's heard it's so much healthier for people, but he, he knows it has certain drawbacks, and he, he doesn't seem to be able to overcome those obstacles. How do you right. recommend people adding almond flour? You know, should they... Can they replace white flour with almond flour? What are your tips of the trade and how you would Yeah, that? absolutely. I would, I would tell people, you know, it's okay to experiment, you know, unless obviously you have some allergies or food sensitivities. You know, what I do is I – so if you look at a recipe and, you know, if you want to try a recipe that has almond flour, by all means do that. The other thing is you can sometimes look and see, depending upon the recipe, and you can see if, if they um, give you like sometimes what you call out opt-outs or which you can switch or substitutions for and, or in place of. So maybe if it calls for a cup of white flour, you know, do a cup of almond flour or do a half a cup of, you know, oats or oat flour with a half a cup of almond flour. I mean, you know, you can be really creative and try different things. What we teach people, Max, in our, in our big things besides what you've seen, our program, our 10-day program, which is the um, reversing diabetes and losing weight naturally 10-day program that people can follow. It's a meal plan that also has videos. Um, and a diabetes solution book that complements that to explain the educational ABCs of what is diabetes, what causes it, and how this approach to treating it actually helps and works because it is a lifestyle. It's not a diet. Um, We've been doing this for 25 years now, and we've seen virtually hundreds of people naturally lower their blood sugar, lose weight in a safe and, you know, simple way. And if they stay on track, you know, they're able to possibly become medication-free. You know, um, many do actually. So, um, And we're specifically talking about type 2 diabetes, just to clarify that. Yes, type 1, absolutely, yes. Type 1, absolutely, we know, of course, is that is a permanent condition and um, but I will say that with type 1 diabetes this program or this approach um, this way of eating and living actually helps the type 1 diabetic in controlling their blood sugar even even more so you know um, because we've worked with with people that have type 1 diabetes and it actually helped them so um, but getting back to the point of the which you were asking about the flour, so what we teach people, as I mentioned earlier, was the nutrient-dense foods. So we tell them, or what we teach them is sort of, well, it's outside of the box when, when you think about what maybe they're hearing 
first from their doctor and or their diabetes educator. You know, they're taught um, typically, you know, it's manage and control. And they, you know, you have to watch your carbohydrates or do carbohydrate exchanges. Um, whereas what we teach people, and again, I would not be on this program right now with you unless I have seen it work so many times, Max. And by teaching people, yes, that the simple carbohydrates are bad. They're bad, 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 period, for anybody and everybody, but especially for the diabetic. Your simple carbohydrates are your refined processed carbohydrates. However, your whole grains, your multigrains, your dark grains, you know, these um, are good for you. And we need the complex carbohydrates. They're actually the fuel that, you know, um, feeds our brain, you know, powers our brain function. And so what we've seen is that when people change and eliminate the fat from the diet and they increase all of this dietary fiber in their diet and so they're eating these meals, we tell them, eat until you're full, until you're satiated. And yes, you can have that rice. And yes, you can have those beans. And yes, you can have that dark bread. Um, eat freely until you're full. Eat your salad, eat your veggies, you know, whatever you like. Um, a handful of nuts or the nut butters on your, your pumpernickel bread. You know, the darker the bread, the better. Um, they're full and their blood sugar just starts coming down. I mean, it's, it happens literally overnight, Max. It's very, it's a profound thing. I love it. I think it's great. Oh, Cheryl, please take a seat in the hot seat. It's the red chair to the right of you. And uh, we've got a lot of hot seat questions for you because we told our audience you were going to be on the show tonight, and people wrote in with hot seat questions. You'll have an, oh boy. Uh, about a, roughly a minute to answer these questions. So right now we've got Mark oh, from Coney Island, New York. We did a podcast once that was based on Coney Island. What are aminos, okay. and why should I add them to my diet? What are aminos? Okay, so amino acids are actually very good for us. You know, um, there's like Bragg's. I'm sure that he's familiar with um, Bragg's amino acids. Um, these are very good for our body, and if you're on a sodium-restricted diet, um, Bragg's I would recommend because it's a low in sodium and these are essential for our, you know, for our overall health. So I would recommend using Bragg's. I think Bragg's is a very good um, product to use for essential amino acids. Um, I know there's, it's, 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 have you ever, have you ever, have you ever had, um, uh, well, let me just ask you, Max, have you ever had essential, a uh, Bragg's essential amino acids? I think I've had it once before. I know you could buy it at most grocery stores or health food stores. I've seen it and had it. I didn't really, don't okay. think I really noticed the effect, but mm -hmm. I, I have okay. seen it and tried it. I know you also like okay. coconut well, aminos, but what, what exactly right. is the benefit for Well, amino acids, okay, so basically amino acids cannot be made by our body. So they have to come from food, all right? And so there are, Bragg's, as I said, um, 
is one way. You can use that on your food. Again, if you're on a sodium-restricted diet, you can, it tastes like soy sauce. The coconut aminos don't taste as much. Um, some of the common food sources that you might find, um, let's say nine, these are, would be nine essential amino acids, would be lysine. And, you know, of course, that's in uh, meat and some dairy, but also soy, black beans, quinoa, pumpkin seeds. Um, quinoa, by the way, is, is what they, we call the super grain. It's the ancient grain that promotes health. But, you know, okay, so our, wait, again, now we'll our, move on to our next question. That was good because we, we got a, we've got like five questions that you have to answer. So, oh, okay. I'm um, sorry. Okay, keep going. From, no, no, you're doing great, and I'm enjoying having you on the show. This is one <laughs> from Mary Margaret. She's from Peoria, Illinois. Does smoked salmon carry the same dan- dangers as processed meats? Everyone's hearing about the risk of cancers related to eating uh, some of these processed meats, and she's wondering if the smoked salmon carries yeah. the same dangers as processed Well, I would say, yeah, so um, – Processed meats are, are terrible. I mean, just, and, and of course, I need to say, if in case you hadn't figured out, Max, I know obviously you, you went in and you, I believe, looked at our program. So basically what we're, we're teaching people or advocating is more of a whole food, plant-based diet. Now, we're not telling people that you can never have another piece of meat or, you know, an animal product or animal protein, but for the most part, in, in the process of reversing someone's diabetes or in the th- what we call the therapeutic phase, they're really eating primarily plant-based foods. So in answer to her question, though, going back to the processed meats, yes, processed are the worst. They are carcinogenic, bad, 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 bad. That they're saying now that processed meats are worse, probably going to be worse than tobacco. They're, they're realizing now. You know, we always learn later. But as far as smoked salmon, I mean, I would say, yes, yeah, smoked salmon um, is much safer probably than absolutely eating processed meats, for sure. Um, and, and, and usually smoked salmon is something where they put the salmon, I believe, in a smoker, you know, and it, there's just like wood chips, you know. Um, so it's different. That's different than when... Um, you you get processed meats, which is they take the scraps from everything and throw all kinds of stuff in there and chemicals and preservatives, and it's extremely carcinogenic. Yeah. All right. And now we have Carly from Mobile, Alabama. Hi, Carly. Are smoothies better for me than juices? I do a lot of fruit juicing, and I'm wondering if I should make smoothies instead. Yes. I, that is a great question, Carly. Absolutely. Now, again, what we teach people, and I, we ask people, by the way, we do classes and seminars, I just so you know, and we're doing a series actually right now here in Portland, Maine, where we live. So typically what we'll do is we'll teach people when you think about sugar. So if you took an apple, applesauce, and apple juice, which is going to, to contain the most sugar? you know, or which is going to raise your sugar. Well, of course, it's going to be the apple apple juice. juice. Exactly. So by eating the apple, the juice is in the apple, but you have the dietary fiber. It goes back to the fiber. So in answer to your question, 
Yes, a smoothie would be better by far than drinking juice. And what I would encourage you to do is when you make that smoothie, be sure to add things like flax seed because, you know, they're very high in omega-3 fatty acids or some chia or some, a little bit of oats even when you blend up your smoothie um, and you could put a little kale in there. Another thing we teach at our seminars or classes is we really try to steer people away from this, especially when they're in the therapeutic phase, the therapeutic phase of trying to naturally lower their blood sugar, okay, is to avoid the southern fruits. You want to try to stick with the northern fruits, like apples, for example, because they, they won't spike your sugar as much. So I hope that answers the question. Final question. Carl from Cincinnati, Ohio. Mm-hmm. Eating dark chocolate has always been encouraged for health benefits. I've been buying chocolate bars with 75% to 90% cocoa content. However, the label notes on these products high, the high content of saturated fat. Is this mm. harmful as saturated meat fat? Right. So I'd like to know on that label what if it, if there's cocoa butter like if he's, if he's talking about cacao, not cocoa but cacao because cacao is different. No, it's a zero um, cocoa. But okay. cacao, I yeah. know cacao, but right, right. So how would you? So, I mean, let's take it both ways. If he was saying it was cocoa, what would you say? Well, if it's got that much saturated fat in it, then I would be looking. I would be looking for other uh, healthy alternatives to something like that. For example, what I do is um, so. Let's say you got some dates, some pitted dates, and you go to the health food store. So you get some pitted dates. You could, you know, cut, slit it open, stick an almond in there. And then get some, like, cacao and melt it down and then take your date with an almond in it and then roll it in the melted cacao, put it out and let it dry. Those are delicious. And that has dietary fiber. And the sugar is natural sugar, but it's in that date. But you're okay because it's a natural sugar and you have the fiber. So that is a safe healthy treat for a diabetic to eat. I love it, Cheryl Farley. Tell everyone how they can learn more about you and uh, visit Absolutely. your website. Absolutely. Well, uh, if you go to www.cheryl, C-H-E-R-Y-L, Farley, F-A-R-L-E-Y, no space, just CherylFarley.com, you will find our program available there. And if you have any questions at all, please don't hesitate to reach out. I love people. I love people. My husband and I both love people. We've been doing this, as I said, for many, many years, and and we're all about helping people. So if if there's a contact us page, yeah. Yes, thank you, Matt, for having me. Okay, you too. Bye bye. We're going to bring back Patricia Addy Gentle. Patricia, are you there? I'm here. We forgot to give you your hot seat question before we oh come my. on tonight. 
in our newest mystery podcast, Gingerbread Men Prefer Blondes, one of our characters is advocating for the sugar tax. The question for you tonight is, the typical child in the U.S. consumes how many gallons of sugar-sweetened beverages a year? Is it 8 to 10 gallons, 20 to 25 gallons, or 30 gallons or more? The average, the typical child in the U.S. consumes how many gallons of sugar-sweetened beverages each year? 8 to 10 gallons, 20 to 25 gallons, or 30 gallons or more? And don't answer, I'll give you the drum roll. Okay. Well, I know that I am constantly trying to persuade our parents to decrease the amount of sugar that their kids are consuming, so I will go with the largest, the 30 gallons of sugary drinks every year. Is that your final answer? That is the final answer. Oh, you got that right, Patricia. Thank you so much. And you know what? If you want to get involved in that and stand up to kind of fight the sugar-sweetened beverage crisis that's happening in America because more and more people are pointing to the fact that these beverages are leading to so many health issues regarding our newest generations, then you could find out more about that online. We'll be posting it later this week. In fact, in several states, they've already enacted this sugar tax where they're taxing sugar-sweetened beverages, which could include anything from a Gatorade, to soda pop, to some of these extreme energy drinks we're seeing. And what have you been advocating your grandchildren to drink, water, or how do you, how have you been weaning people off of these sugar-sweetened beverages, Patricia? Well, water is always a good choice. And I also just anything that has um, low sugar, like we don't do juices, but we do, um, we, I will allow the juices that have reduced sugars. And anything that, um, you know, does not have added sugar. Sometimes you just infuse a glass of water with a piece of fruit, too, and it takes on the flavor. Uh, I love that. And I love Hint Water. We were using uh, Hint Water, gave generously to our Clued In program earlier this year. And ever since I've had that, I've been drinking it nonstop, the watermelon flavor especially. <laughs> Anyhow, yes, well, thank you. That is a very good option. And uh, I know we just had our second rehearsal. We just had our second rehearsal for the mystery podcast. We're going to be bringing that to you in September. But come back next month. We're going to be playing music from Ricky Martin in celebration of Stonewall 50. In the meantime, please check out our e-newsletter at demonbag.org. Visit our website, Facebook pages, Instagram, and even my YouTube channel. And say hi to me on Twitter. Hey, why not? Mr. Divabetic on Twitter. Remember, every diva and every uh, dude has an entourage, and I'm so glad to be part of yours. Let's get happy and healthy together. We're going to end the show with one more song from her entitled As I Am, courtesy of Sony Music. It's like the morning time. Don't want to wake up. I just want to stay in bed. But if I'm next to you, I'm looking forward to just laying in this bed. Mm-hmm. Ooh, that never gets old. Promise you'll never let go. I don't want no one else. So we should be chilling back. Ain't nothing wrong with that. So 